listening to the Taming Hinges podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to episode number nine of the Taming Hindrances podcast. My name's Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And today's episode is all about change. Last episode, we talked about choices and how choices obviously matter and how choices can affect things in a different way than we think about sometimes and how maybe we have a menu of choices that we kind of close ourselves into using and how choice is the incarnation of chaos if we're thinking about it from the alchemical standpoint or from the, the primordial standpoint taught in some of the mystery schools. And also talked about throughout most religions uh, across all walks of life, that idea of choice being chaos has another product to it. And as I talked about at the, towards the end of the, that episode, the correlation of choice often refers to change. So the first time something happens, great. Second time something happens, that's, you know, maybe coincidence. Third time something happens, that's correlation or the beginning of correlation. And correlation of choice gives us change. So as we correlate choices, we eventually end up with change. Now, the effect of change, like choices, has no connotation. It is simply a, a point of of reference. Um, we talked about the Tai Chi diagram of you have the Wu Chi, everything that exists before the dotted uh, line around a point, which is the, the point of choice. And then the solidification of that circle around the point, which is the commensuration or beginning thereof. Um, and that's the, where decision happens. That's where a choice becomes a decision and all their options are eliminated. Then we have the weighing of the sides, yin yang, on the diagram, the, the white circle and the black circle representing each side of the balance structure. Because then at the end of weighing the sides, we're left with the yin-yang symbol. We're left with balance. And as I've said many times, and we'll continue saying, because repetition is the mother of all skill, balance is what the universe is seeking at all times, always. It's, part, it's, a, it's a, a law, essentially, of the universe taught in the mystery schools that we're always seeking balance. So if choices are the methodology of starting us off or, you know, the commensuration point into decision-making, into just any, any situation where balance may come out of whack or need to be put back into place, we have that commensuration point and then we get into decision-making and the weighing of sides. And the weighing of sides in that diagram is often where change is occurring. So the correlation of our choices that we're making are going to end up becoming change. And we can correlate choices in any number of ways. In fact, if we go into the alchemical processes and we talk about the primordials again, I've spoke about how the major three primordials, just about every mystery school, every religion, every philosophical thing I've ever read mention are chaos, as we talked about. Chaos is the representation of incarnation of choice. And then we have creation and destruction. And creation and destruction are finalities. 
You can create something, final. You can destroy something, final. And in between there, we have all of these chaotic points or this, this idea of chaos, which is known as choice. Now, correlation of choice is chaos's opposite. Remember, everything is duality. Everything is a, a two sides of one coin. Choice in and of itself is the balance of itself. We've talked about that last time and how the way choices work is they always balance each other. It's why you can never have an even number of choices. There can never just be two choices. That's not a balanced situation when it comes to chaos. Now there can be a balance to chaos. We call this order. So the fourth primordial here is known as order. So you have chaos and order and you have creation and destruction. There's more um, and they're debatable, but those are the four major ones. Typically you hear about the, the first three, just about everywhere when it comes to the, again, the mystery schools, religions, even just belief structures in general, you know, be it uh, um, like Hinduism being Hinduism is not a religion. It's the isms or the way of the Hindu people. They talk about, you know, creation, destruction, chaos. They also talk about order, but it's not exactly one of those ones. that's like blatantly thrown at you. Order again is the correlation of choice correlation of chaos incarnate. So as chaos roams free in most of the conversations, when you talk about, when you go back and look at, you know, some of the pantheons, some of the text, you know, of, of um, what's the best way to put that? The canonical writings, I guess you could put it that way. The, what, what's considered canon of these schools, religions, belief structures, philosophical workings, even philosophical musings, depending on who you're reading. Chaos runs freely. Uh, chaos usually is represented by a being and there's some sort of being that represents chaos. That being always has a check or a balance. There's always some other being referenced that is trying to control or trying to persuade or trying to rein in or it's always put a little bit differently. I like the Buddhist texts on this because in the Buddhist canons, uh, be it the, the Mahayana or the Vishnahana, there are anecdotal writings about this idea of chaos and then the, the outside influence of who's trying to balance chaos. Is it you? Are you trying to balance your own chaos? Is there an outside influence trying to balance your chaos? Often this conversation leads to empathy and to understanding. And that piece is the correlation of choice. We call this order. So you might find an individual in one of the writings that represents order. And that, that individual or that, that idea is typically trying to, again, persuade or correct chaos. Um, often it's written as a love story. The, there's a love story between chaos and order. And order is typically trying to love chaos and chaos is typically trying to run away from that and, and create, you know, its own idea of its reality at the same time, though, reflecting that love back. It's, it's an interesting duality because again, same side of one coin, chaos and order are of one coin. They are measures to each other. So if we have the correlation of choices becoming order or becoming change, then we can look at how our choices might reflect on us both 
in a grand situation throughout our lifetime or on small, small daily basis that maybe we can use it to interact with different things in our mental health and different things in our self-awareness that maybe we want to change or we'd like to see change in, you know, if, if you want more money, then you have to change your spending habits, right? Maybe save, or maybe you have to work harder and, you know, get another job to make more money. There's ways to accomplish goals, but sometimes we get lost in the minutia of how that happens. When in reality, we need to step back and look at it from a correlation perspective. It's an actual choice perspective. If you choose to only work one job, then that job needs to be sufficient enough in pay to pay for your lifestyle that you want or the lifestyle you need. Remember, you get what you need, not what you want, but it's always nice to get what you want. So if you're making choices based on a single job platform that don't correlate to getting your basic needs, then maybe either you need to figure out another job at a different pay structure or add in a supplementation of work somewhere else to make that possible, to get the money you're seeking to have the lifestyle you need or want. So let's look at the possibility of correlation, right? So if we take choices and we're making choices and we correlate them, we now get change. Well, the correlation part of choice is the important part because as I talked about choice being the incarnation of chaos, there is a carnation of an incarnation of order. It's balance. And that's known as time. And time is a reference. Time is a measurement. If you look at any of the metaphysics, pretty much all of them reference time as a reference. It's a measurement system. Time is not, it's not finite. It's not, it's ever present and it's not commensurable to the situation. It's always changing and flowing. And this happens and we can see it when we look at points in time where we have either adrenal cortex um, rushes where your body produces a bunch of norepinephrine commonly referred to as the precursor to norepinephrine. Norepinephrine is the precursor to epinephrine. Epinephrine is commonly referred to as adrenaline. So a, a norepinephrine cortex or, or, or an epinephrine cortex rush is an adrenal rush. There's a bunch of other things that go into it. Cortisol levels, dopamine, serotonin, you know, all this other stuff that happens specifically when we're talking about hormone structures. But inside of that adrenal rush, we have a time dilation usually. Um, some people feel this if they've ever been in a car accident or in a sport event where they're playing a sport. Um, commonly, I used to hear it about individuals in a, you know, when you're, when you're training to fight, you know, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't a fighter. I've talked about before that I take a defensive stance when it comes to martial situations, and I'm more of a martialist than a martial artist. Um, I can talk about that at length another time. It's not important right now. But the idea here is, I, again, I wasn't a fighter, but I trained fighters. I had a hand in their training. And one of the things that we would use for training, it might sound a little barbaric, but we would sit someone up against a wall or make them stand against a wall. And then we would take a rattan stick and a screamer stick and we would swing it in front of their face and we'd get as close as we could comfortably get knowing that we weren't going to hit them. And if we did hit them, oh, well, 
That's just part of the training. And I've had this done to me and I've done it to others. And you make sure they don't blink. You want them to have eye contact with you at the entire time or be staring at a point on your body the entire time, usually, because uh, eye contact is uh, one of those funny things in martial arts that some systems are about it and some systems tell you never to do it. And there's reasons for that. But that, that method of training created what's considered a time dilation. And it was to change the perspective of time for the fighter. So what would happen is after you have this Eskrima stick flying in front of your face and you're thinking you might get hit, we might even go one step further and we might add a blade to that. You know, there's different levels. You know, some people are a little bit harder than others and you got to you gotta just give them a little bit more risk to get them to get into that, that focus point. Anyway, what would happen is that time dilation would transfer into, as soon as we would bring them off the wall and we would get them rolling, we would get them sparring, or, you know, going through systems or forms, you would find they had a better, not a better understanding of what's going on. That, that came with it a little bit, but they had this, this time, they, they call it like a flow state where things seem to have slowed down to them. They could see that punch a little easier. They could see that kick a little easier. They could see the shift in their opponent's, you know, body. They could just measure things quicker. It's like their eyes were reacting faster. And all that is, is simply them having an adrenal cortex rush from, you know, having this scream stick or blade thrown in front of their face at a very fast rate that their eyes had to now almost speed up to catch what's going on so that they could now get into being able to see, you know, oh, well, that arm's moving slower than that stick was. I can see that better. So it would create this, you know, what we call a time dilation. And that time dilation situation was based in the idea that we had a correlation towards order. We were ordering their, their body into that. And I know I'm going off on one of my other random tangents here, but that time dilation as talked about in many metaphysics, that, that option here is the idea that time isn't linear. It's just a measurement system. So time being the reference of order, we can have different references. And so that's where, you know, if you're looking at the correlation of choices, often known as change, and we're looking at creating change, it's sometimes best to change our reference point. Trust me, I'm bringing this back around. I got this. <laughs> we're, we're, we're bringing back the reference point of what change am I trying to apply and where am I trying to apply it? That's where there's a lot that goes on in change if we're trying to manifest it or will it or you know if you want to get into any one of those situations. But simply if we're just looking at how change occurs, change occurs based on a reference. And that reference is usually time because time is the incarnation of order. We must give something time in order to order it. Things typically do not just spring into order. We see this when we use mathematics. Now, every mystery school has a large basis in mathematics. Um, math is a language in the mystery schools. It's often spoke of 
as a, a way to transfer knowledge. And the reason for this is a lot of hidden knowledge and a lot of secrets, specifically in the mystery schools, are referenced through cipher or through, you know, a, a hidden methodology. Ciphers are all based on math. And that's, you know, coding nowadays based on math. There's a reference of it being a language. Mathematics is a language. The simplest base language we use in today's society every day is known as binary. Ones and zeros, on or off. That's base two math. Base two math goes, you know, so you have zero, and then you have one. And then we just multiply it by two, we just double it every time. So you have one, two, four, eight, 16, 32, 64, uh, 256, 128. I might have that wrong. 64, 128, 256, 512, 1024. There we go. Um, that gives us binary. And we use binary in all computer languages. There's one step above that, which is known as hexadecimal, which is base 16. That's, you know, 16, 32, 60. It just, you know, goes that route. But you can translate hexadecimal into binary. You can translate base 10 into binary. These our language structures when it comes to the mystery schools and the universe and all of these things. And time is part of that idea. It's a measurement. It just measures time. But in reference, it is the measurement of change. Here's why. And this is going to, this is going to be one of those ones that's just a little bit out there and I will have to get into it into further episode. But I just want to give you the base overlay right now and then we can step a little further. It is my understanding in the etheric physics school that I was taught um, and that I reference that time is the measurement of movement and thus is the measurement of change. Because everything is always changing because everything's going through a creation and destruction cycle. So we have creation and destruction, the finalities. Then we have the, the meta data, if you will, if I'm giving it some, you know, cyber kind of correlation here. So the metadata is chaos and order. And how this works is it works based on the idea of magnetism. So, not to get super referenced into this again, what we keep in mind here, how this system works is there is, let's use the old graph from Tai Chi. There's the Wu Chi, everything before, right? Then there's a destruction point. So we just cut straight, just cut it, put a period on it. That all existed. Now we have a, what's, what's called a blank spot. And this is where, Chaos and destruction have happened. Chaos proceeds. Destruction is final. Now we have chaos, which is all choice. Choices correlate. We get change. And change is defined by order. So we have chaos to order. And now we have creation again. So everything is destroyed. Chaos correlates to order through magnetism and how its forces work. Then we have creation, and now we have commensuration. We go through the balance structure again, and then again, it's destroyed. And again, after destruction, chaos correlates to order. Order brings on creation. Creation thus gets all messed up 
again and is destroyed. And that's essentially how we move. We're like stop and like stop animation, claymation figures moving through materium. It's also how materium involves itself and how materium exists around us. It's all based on the hydrogen atom and the octaves thereof, how the hydrogen atom is the simplest atom. And then if we take the octaves of it, we get all the rest of the sequences into the rest of the periodic table and all the elements. And then there's all the ones we don't see and how there's light structures we can see and don't see and how everything's light in a different form and factor, just like we have water and it's different elemental capabilities between a liquid, a gas and a solid light is a similar idea. And you're living in the idea where light is a solid. That's how you can touch walls and you can touch yourself and your shirt and your clothing. Now that I've completely gone batshit crazy on you and we've gone into the woo, let's step back and give it reference. So if order is that point where chaos has correlated itself and no longer is chaos because there's correlation, we get order and order creates creation. So order precedes creation. And then order also, I mean, order stays with creation as things go forward. And that's the important part there. Order proceeds through that situation even after creation happens. And creation and destruction, remember, they're finite. Chaos and order are not finite. They are always continuously balancing everything else. They're yin-yang. Yin-yang is a, is a representation of chaos and order. And they must always be seeking balance, remember? Which means they can never either be gone. They, there's no way to destroy chaos. There's no way to destroy order. There's just different measurements of them. So if our choices correlate to change and we can't destroy our, you know, can't destroy the idea of choices, there's always options. There's always more choices to be made as we discussed last time. Then change is the similar idea. Change is ever present. And the way we measure change is through time. And time is the incarnation of, of order. So what I'm getting at when I talk about reference is maybe we need to step back and re-reference the changes that are happening around us and the changes we're trying to create and give ourselves more time. Here's something I will never say enough. And I say it to myself regularly because it's something that's super important and it took me a, a little long, longer than I wanted to to grasp, but it was a massive changing point for me as a human human being, specifically when it came to how I was dealing with my mental states. Patience may be a virtue, but before that, it's a learned skill. We consider patience as a virtue. We've heard that many times. Oh, patience is a virtue. Look how patient this person is. They're so virtuous. Before it's a virtue, before it, be, you know, before it becomes an embodiment of a person, be it stoicism or just, you know, general patience when it comes to daily life. It's a learned skill. What do I say about skill? Repetition is the mother of all skill. It must be practiced. You must practice patience in order for it to become a skill that then can become a virtue. For it to be virtuous, it must be practiced. That's, that's just how these things work. So I learned through... Um, 
that one was a culmination of uh, chemical processes and also Tai Chi. There's uh, two diagrams that I can reference that kind of brought me into this idea. But again, before patience is a virtue, it's a learned skill. So we must practice patience. And once you learn that you have to practice patience, you can be more patient with that process. Kind of goes hand in hand. So when we reference our change and we reference how change is occurring, it's often a good time to practice patience. Nothing happens overnight usually. And to be honest, there's only two major emergencies in the world. There's uncontrollable bleeding and unstoppable asphyxiation. Those two things will kill you very rapidly. If you can stop the bleeding, probably save their life or save your life. You can get them breathing again or you can start breathing again. You can probably continue living. Those are the only two true emergencies in my book. Uncontrollable bleeding and asphyxiation. That's it. Everything else can usually be saved for another day or there can be a step back and a moment can be taken before choices and action occur. This is part of that Tai Chi thing. This is the Wu Chi. This is everything that existed before and how we can use all of that information and all of that knowledge and make better choices. And if we can make better choices, we can then correlate them. If we can take time to make choices that correlate towards one avenue, we get change. Thus, we can control the change that's happening around us. People who reference the fact that they don't have control over their choices often reference in the same vein the fact that they don't have control over the changes that are occurring around them. This is one of the biggest things that occurs in corporate structures when the people on the lower rungs of the corporate ladder don't agree with or have a huge problem with how things are changing inside the corporate structure because they have no control over that idea. The only choices they get to make are their daily, you know, things they do. And they never see the correlation that happens at the middle management level and then at the upper level. And anyone who's ever been in middle management can tell you the worst thing you can do as a middle manager or someone who's managing in general is get angry. If you get angry, you lose. If you allow an emotional response to affect the choices that you're making, the correlation is now destroyed and the change that's going to occur is not going to be good. You have to take those emotional responses out in order to be a managing correctly in some instances. Actually, I'm going to say it in all instances, you have to illuminate getting angry. The person under you, they're going to get angry. That's what happens. Then when they get angry and you get angry, you've now correlated two times as a, you know, one time. Okay. Two times, you know, coincidence. Third time, if you take, you know, if they gave you anger and then you take your anger to the top and the top brings anger back, that's correlation. It's going to end badly for everybody. So we take all this woochie and we practice patience. We don't commensurate yet. We don't make choice unless it's, again, unstoppable bleeding or asphyxiation. If we just take a second, take a minute, you know, it depends on the situation. If there's a life-threatening situation happening, take as less time as possible, at least time as possible to act. But do it, you know, make sure you're doing it safely. I'm not a professional. I can't give medical advice. 
I don't teach how to deal with, you know, medical emergencies or anything like that. Do your own research, go take a CPR and AED class, learn about accident scene, you know, uh, awareness, all that good stuff. I think just about everybody should be CPR and at least CPR trained. It's just a good piece of knowledge. You know, you never know. You just never know. It's going to be prepared. And it's interesting to learn, at least in my book. So when we take that reference point, again, if it's just a second, if it's a minute, if we can take a day, if we can sleep on it, you know, we've always heard that. I'm just going to sleep on it. You know, I'm going to get a better state of reference because I'm looking for correlation. I'm looking how the choices are going to affect things because I want to affect a certain change. Just about everybody wants to change something. Change, like we talked about before, change the menu of choices that we have, change the outcome of, you know, our daily lives, change the, you know, some people want to change the outcome of a sports game. They're just saying they're willing it to happen. These pieces of, you know, choice correlation that affects change is almost is almost part of human consciousness. We must require change to exist. Again, change is the correlation of choice, and thus change is order. As we order structures into being, as we become creators. And this is a lot of what some of the philosophical viewpoints talk about when someone talks about you being your own God. It's that control of change, the control of order, which creates creation or gives creation a chance and then proceeds to exist through the creation process eventually will end and thus chaos will retake control and we have destruction. And not to say that chaos and destruction go together or order and creation go together, but that's typically how we see it in the cycle. Chaos can bring on creation and order can bring on destruction. Again, they are balancing structures that bring on the other two. The other two are finite and final. Chaos and order are not. They're ever persistent, ever pervading. They can never go away. They never will go away. They will exist forever because without them, we can't exist. They create the materium in which we move in, which is the reference of time that we exist upon. That our reality that we've talked about back in episode seven and how all these different pieces go into the reality we perceive and the reality we, you know, look out every day. It doesn't exist without chaos and order. The easiest way to understand chaos and order again, chaos is choices. Order is the correlation of those choices. So if you want to enact change in your life, which I think a lot of people do, we need to look at the reference point because again, order is the incarnation of order is time. So this is what I'm talking about, about taking a step back, taking some time, taking that 24 hours, sleep on it, make more informed. I don't want to say better decisions because again, decisions are finite, but more informed decisions. When we, when we finalize a choice, it then becomes a decision. So if we take time to reference the choice we're going to make, we get a better a better correlation, if we, you know, if you looked at a scatter graph, I don't know if everybody's know what those are, but if, so if you have a log linear line, so we have a, an X axis and a Y axis, and we have a, a, a line traveling linearly in a upward state, 
and we put points of choice either below the line or above the line. Correlation is when they all start to come towards that line. Uh, that's you know the scatter graph idea. If we want those choices to become finalized and then thus make it on that graph and track with that line, thus giving us correlation and trajectory of change, often known as vector, we have to take time. So in a roundabout way, change is time and time is change. So if we take time for ourselves, we can enact change in ourselves. If we take time to work on our relationships, we can enact change in our relationships. If we take time to work on our education, if we take time to work and study our beliefs, if we take time to get a better handle of our language that we're using and surrounding ourselves with, if we take time to think about the emotional state or the emotional reaction we're about to have, we can have a stronger correlation of choice and thus enact change. So what do you want to change? How would you like the things around you to change? Do you want more money? Well, take some time to think about how you can make more money. How you can get better educated to get a better job. How you can work two jobs. How you could work three jobs. I'm not amazing in any way, but I can tell you anecdotally, Take it for what it is. Take everything I say with a grain of salt. But I've had points in time in my life where I worked six or seven jobs. Not every day, but I had six or seven. You know, people talk about uh, different income streams. I did that physically in the real working world. And I'm not saying that working online is not real or any way. But as a, as a physical person back then, coming out of high school and getting control of my body, doing martial arts and becoming just a physical force, I went and I worked physical jobs because I didn't know how to make money online. I tried. I did have some online gigs. I did some SEO writing. You know, I did some ghost writing and different, you know, online writing for like blog sites and stuff. And yeah, they were, you know, hit or miss, but there was income streams. But most of it was physical in place working. And I had six or seven jobs at one point. At one point I was living out of my car. So I had all sorts of time to go work. Home was where the horror is. I didn't want to go home. Home fucking sucked. So I went to work and I left home behind. My choice in that situation was I'm going to leave home over there, all that bullshit, and I'm going to go to work. And I'm going to work. And was that healthy in some ways? Sure. Was it not healthy in some ways? Absolutely. I was a workaholic. I still am a workaholic. I'm not saying you need to be one, but I can tell you there's a direct correlation to choosing to go to work more and more income coming in. Were the jobs great? No. Not always restaurants, landscaping, you know, odd jobs, working for a contractor, doing construction. The, the, the jobs were just jobs. There's a massive difference between a job and a career. And these were just jobs. My career is people. I learned a lot about people doing all these different jobs, service industry. Most of it's all service. You know, a lot of things fit into the service industry. So my correlation there was work more, make more money. All right, well, what if we want to, what if we were just going to want to get a better job? How about that? Well, we need to enact change to make ourselves more employable, right? Well, how can we do that? We can increase our education. We can increase our relationships. Maybe we can, you know, 
have a better relationship with an employer and then get them to give us a chance and then we can learn, you know, there is one easy way to get a correlation to change when it comes to the opportunities you're given. And it's not foolproof, but I'll give it to you and you can use it however you want. You can be a better employee. Now I know that's, you know, Oh, well, fuck my employer. Why do I got to be a better employee? Well, they're your employer. And yeah, some employees are shit. I've worked for some terrible employers. I worked for an employer who spent all of our money on drugs and sometimes didn't even give me my paycheck because he was an asshole and decided to put it all up his nose instead of giving me my paycheck. I've been through that. It sucks. So I get, yes, there are shitty employers out there. There are shitty employees too. Two sides, same coin. Duality, people. It sucks, but it's there. It's balance. So if you want the balance structure to work in your favor, right? Two sides, same coin. By being in a better employee, but also understanding that you are a better employee for doing this, your employer will have to raise themselves to that. And I, I find a correlation to the choice or choice is because it's a daily choice a daily set of choices, actually to become a better employee to us that either get better employers or at least better opportunities. Here it is to be a good employee. You have to do a couple things. You have to show up on time, dressed, ready, with a good attitude and a willingness to learn. All right. Show up on time. I'm not, you know, if you, if you want to be the one of the people that shows up early, that's fine. But really just show up on time. That's the most important part when it comes to the time reference situation, showing up on time with a good attitude. Super important. Dressed, which means you're ready. You're, you're ready for work and a willingness to learn. I've seen a lot of people go to work and just be like, it's not my fucking job. It's not my problem. Put my blinders on, keep my head down. And that's fine. If that, I'm not saying you can't do that. You are limiting yourself on your chances at that point. You are making the choice to not better yourself in any way, to not better your options in that employment structure. And sometimes that's the right answer. Sometimes, you know, it's just good to go to work and put your head down. And that's just what you do for that job. Maybe it's your second job. It doesn't really matter. Maybe it's just an intermediary job. You know, keep in mind when I talk about this, I I'm not, I'm against the academic education system in college. I don't think everyone should go to college. That's just how I feel about it. But I do consider college one of those jobs. So if you want to get ahead and you want to get two jobs, college can be one of the jobs, but you still got to go get another job. All right. So that's how you become a better employee and a better employee can get change in the fact that they can get better opportunities. And that opportunity might just be like when I worked at the pizza shop, I consider myself a good employee. I think my, the owners of the pizza shop would say I was a good employee. They did so on multiple occasions. They're like, Hey, Phil, you want to take a free pie home? Here's, you know, we got this extra pie. You want to take it with you? Here you go. You know, you want to slice? Here you go. You want to, you know, do a little extra? Here's 20 bucks. You know, they would throw me a bone. Did I manage to get a raise or make more money? No, because I knew they didn't have it to give to me. It just was the situation. What they did have to give to me, though, was perks. And that was great. So the choices we both made on both sides, remember, duality, employer, employee, choices we both made made it a good working opportunity. 
That's where choices correlate to change. I fucking hated working in the restaurant industry until I worked for that set of employers working at the pizza shop and at the bar. They made it, you know, they were tough to work for. They were ball busters, rightfully so. You know, they were successful business people and not everybody liked working for them, but our choices in correlation made me not hate going to work. Just, I went to work, made my money. They threw me a bone now and then. They were good employers in my book. Compare that to the employer who just, you know, shoved cocaine up his nose because it was, you know, he got paid and then we didn't because the cocaine was expensive. That was a shitty situation. He made choices. I made choices. Eventually I chose, you know what? I'm tired of this. Give me my money and I don't work for you anymore. So again, what are the changes you want to enact? And, I'm, and I, I harp on the working world because it's what I know. I know how to be a good employee. I know how to get, you know, ahead and work multiple jobs and make more money. And money is one of those topics that I will get into in the future. And it's one of those topics that people would like to see change in. If I polled a bunch of people, and I kind of have, on multiple instances, it's come down that a lot of mental health issues and a lot of, you know, self-awareness pieces come to the fact that people have to spend so much time worried about their income streams that they don't have time to do the rest. And I get that. I totally get that. And sometimes, you know, you just got to fucking put your head down and work harder. I'm not going to say sorry. That's just how it is. That's, that's reality. But again, if we work on the pieces that we have control over, we can affect change and make that better. Like I talked about choices where choices constantly happen there. There's it's ever present. There's always more choices, more choices, more choices. My choice is correlated towards not committing suicide and then choosing to have a correlation towards figuring out what I felt actually happened. And, you know, after death and the reincarnation cycle and how I didn't want to go through that anymore, which made me choose to have a better longevity in my physical mortal coil life. The same thing exists for changes. Changes are ever present. They never stop. They always continue. And it's, it's much better like with choice, how I talked about how you should never, ever give up your choice without really referencing what's going on. You should covet choice as being your own. Same thing for change. You should never allow change to be affected upon you. I get that you may not have the ability to stop that from happening right now, but then you should correlate your choices to getting that option. Change should be coveted as well. We should not just freely be giving away choices to someone else, nor should we be allowing change to be affected upon us without having some sort of input. That's a recipe for disaster. Uh, this is where tyranny comes from. The idea of tyranny is when choice and change are all made and correlated by individuals over the masses. This is why most empires have failed. If you want to look at just history and get rid of, you know, get rid of, we can't really have history without religion, but if you want to get rid of those ideas and bring it down to just how empires destroy themselves, it's through correlation of change. The choices correlate to change and that change degrades because we've unbalanced the structure. So again, choices and change 
should be coveted always. Do not give up your, your ability to make choices and do not give up the correlation to have change lightly. That's something I can only say a bajillion times and hope it gets through. Don't give up your choices and don't give up your change or your, your want for need for or expression of change, which is again, reference of time. Don't give that up easily. And if you are going to give it up, make sure it's, it's for a really fucking good reason. So again, what do you want to change? How do you, how do we affect change then? You know, if you want to change something, you need to look at the reference for it. You need to look at the time frame. If you want to make more money and be more wealthy, well, it's about five years. You get what you need, not what you want. Most people are five years of getting away. Most people are five years away from getting what they need to get what, and then to get what they want. It could be a 10 year process. You know, that's something we need to do a better, in my opinion, we need to do a better job of that in society and specifically for mental health and self-awareness. It's not instantaneous. Anyone who out there who tells you that they can change your life in a matter of minutes, tell them to fuck off because they're wrong. One, they can't change your life. Only you can change your life. Remember, covet change. Covet your choices. Keep them to yourself. Do not give them away lightly. And then look at the time frame reference. If you want to go from, if you're like me, and you want to go from being a, a fat, ugly person you hated when you looked in the mirror, to someone you can accept, one, there's a lot to unpackage there. But a lot of that has to come down to health and health's a hard thing to learn about. So the correlation of choices need to be to educate yourself on health, educate yourself on how to, you know, lose weight successfully and healthily. Put in a belief structure that you can make this happen. Start using language of health, learn language of health, study the languages of health, you know, what are the, you know, what are supplements? What is a workout? What is caloric intake? What is calories in, calories out? Because that equals weight loss. Change or start to affect change, make choices towards your relationships with food, with working out, with activity. And then repress the emotional responses towards, you know, oh, I don't see anything happening. I need to, I'm, I give up, you know, that emotional that's how you affect the reality of you losing weight and maybe looking at the mirror and not hating yourself. That's what I did. I educated myself on the human body. I educated myself on the different methodologies of weight loss. I still am to this day of supplementation, of workouts, of diet, of exercise, all of these things. And then I put into place the reference of time. And how there's this correlation to the choices I'm making, which affect change, but that change is predicated on the idea of how much time I give it. We can get into, you know, if you want to look at time reference, we can talk about habits. Uh, Back in 2009, there was a study done on how long it takes to create a habit and how long it takes to break a habit. And here's the reality of that study. Unfortunately, I can't quote it. Exactly, but from what I remember, it's 84 to 254 days. 
or somewhere around there. Don't quote me on those numbers because I can't reference this stuff very well. It's just it's not something I've ever been great at doing. What that tells us is that everyone's a little bit different. But if we take a mean average, which is what the study eventually did, it's somewhere around three months. It's somewhere around two and a half, three months to either break a habit or create a habit. That's a long time, right? When you want results, when that's like what you really need to keep you motivated, to keep it going, that's a long time to wait. But that's the reality. The mean average time to create a habit or break a habit is two and a half to three months. And it could be even longer than that. And this is where the cho choices of the core, you know, become correlation to become change. You have to choose, like they say, to get back on the bandwagon, to put down the sodas, pick up the weights, or, you know, to go for that walk, to not, you know, order $60 in Chinese and eat all of it and then do nothing the next day. I'm talking about myself here. I'm not talking about you. This is shit I've done. You know, to make to continuously make the choice. That is, that's the correlation. And then to give it the patience it needs. Remember, patience is a skill before it's a virtue. It's a learned skill. You have to learn it. And the best way to learn patience is to give yourself a better reference of time. So I talked about, you know, the idea where I came up with, when I learned about patience, there was two, it was, I don't want to call them diagrams because, well, one is a specific diagram. Um, the other one is more of alchemy as a, as a practice idea. So we've talked about the Tai Chi diagram. Well, in traditional Chinese medicine, also in, China, in Tai Chi, there's another diagram. It's called the five element system. And the five element system, I'm not saying you need to go like use it, but it's an interesting reference idea about how there can be causation, correlation, destruction, you know, creation, it, this, there can be this amalgamation of how things work and interact. So it's, it's essentially, it's a diagram of interaction and traditional Chinese medicine uses it um, when they diagnose someone. So like if you had, um, if you have too much fire, okay, they're going to use water to, to either, they're either going to use water to destroy that fire and bring it back into balance, or they might use um, what's considered some call it an insult. So they might use metal to, you know, cause fire can't really destroy metal. So it, it lets the fire give itself somewhere to work. So that's called the five element system. And the five element system in Chinese traditional medicine, also we use this in Tai Chi, are fire, earth, metal, water, and wood. And it goes around in that order. Um, fire creates earth, earth creates metal, metal creates water, water creates wood, wood creates fire. Or they fuel in some way that you might hear that. And then if you go backwards, um, it, it's not necessarily like it kind of a destruction cycle, but not really. You have to be careful how you use it. So creation goes around clockwise. Destruction is a pentagram. So fire destroys metal or exhausts itself on destroying metal. Metal destroys wood, wood destroys earth, earth destroys water, water destroys fire. So it's a pentagram. Um, and there's, again, there's insults and creation over reactions. There's a whole plethora of things you can get into when you look at that diagram. But this is the basis of where I started to learn patience because of the interactions of these five elements and how that worked with Tai Chi and the methodologies involved there, always seeking balance. 
and how there are, there are, there's not just instantaneous action. There may be multitaneous. So if water destroys fire and someone comes at me with a, with what we consider fire Jing or Jing is a, the word we would say for energy. Uh, there's like 108 Jings. It's a bunch and yeah, it's, I use it in Twina. I'm in a um, massage in Twina. There's all these Jing and energy forces. You can do shocking and repulsive listening Jing. It's a, again, it's just like an energy, but like loose term there. So, I can use water to destroy fire. So somebody comes at me like, Burr, you know, full on fire destruction. You can flow and use water and just cool them off and that's it. Or you can kind of take a, you can take a, a roundabout way of getting there. You can maybe give them wood energy and get them to overexert their fire. Or maybe you could use all their fire to create a root. We call it, it'd be earth energy. We call it rooting. Where if like someone comes bull rushing me, I can root myself. I can take all that force and I can put it into my legs and absorb it. And now they're just stuck there. So there was this whole years long process, multiple years of like trying to figure out all these interactions and all these different jings and fire, earth, metal, water, wood, what's going on, all this stuff. And while I was going through that and learning how there's a process to go through all these things, I was also studying alchemy. And alchemy is a lot of, well, it's a lot of what the mystery schools are based on. Um, but alchemy takes a, a slightly different approach. They only have four elements. Really, it's five, but they have four major elements, fire, air, water, and earth. In the TCM stuff, Chinese traditional medicine, we have, you know, the fifth element, we have metal, which makes the pentagram, balances everything out. And again, when I talk about choices, how I said there can never be an even amount of choices, this is where that comes from. So when we look at the interactions, we come to alchemy and alchemy is where patience is perceived. Um, a lot of alchemy is all about patience. There are umpteen ways to go about doing things in alchemy, there's a set specific methodology, but like the processes could take years. And specifically when we talk about alchemy, a lot of people think about finding the philosopher's stone or transmuting other metals into gold. Those are methodologies. Alchemy is a, a thrice fold activity. There's, there's three pieces to alchemy. There's the physical materium. There's also the mental, and then there's what's above, or what they would call the spiritual. Energetic is really a better translation. So there's the physical materium, there's the mental world, and then there's the energetic. And in the mental world, the processes for understanding the element structures are, are based on, it's prima materia, um, the, the prime material and that's balance balance that's if you wanted to use the yin yang symbol here that's fine prima materia the, the prime material is balance and balance is created by two different things the celestial salt or the celestial niter and the celestial salt is by the fixed axes and the celestial niter is by the volatile axes 
and this is the balance of the elements. So you have earth, water, air, and fire. Earth and water is fixed. Air and fire is volatile. Those create the um, the three primes, essentially, or, or the the three elemental structure. You have so you have the, the the elementals, and then you have like the the primes that they create. So you have the fixed and the volatile. Well, earth and water make salt. Air and fire make sulfur. Water and air make mercury. So we have a we have the tri nature here. But remember, celestial salt and celestial nitre, fixed earth and water, volatile air and fire. The the as above, so below, the prima materia comes from mercury. It's the balance of water and air. Because that's what creates mercury. So you have this this different perspective. Now, why does that create patience? When we look at the mental aspect of alchemy, the mind is a landscape. And the same things we can do in the physical materia, we can do in the mind. So if we're trying to affect change in our mental states, we need we in alchemy would we would use the processes or methodologies to do the same thing in the materium in our mind. This is the statement as above, so below. And this is the, the tri-nature. So if we want to affect change in the mind, we might use, uh, let's, let's look at making a tincture. So in alchemy, if we want to make a tincture, we would soak herbs or certain things in alcohol. And that alcohol would leach out the properties we want from those herbs. And that would create a tincture. And that tincture maybe we could apply to our skin. Um, in martial arts, there's a lot of things called dit de jiao, which is a tincture of herbs that we would use to increase the healing rate for specifically for like bruises, contusions, and those types of things. It's a contact sport, right? Where there's contact involved, specifically in martialism. So in alchemy, if we're making a tincture, that's the physical material. It's soaking things in alcohol to make. And then when we soak those herbs in alcohol, they become a maceration. This is different than a poultice. A poultice would be if we just took a, a mortal and pestle and ground up the herbs and then applied that to a wound of some sort. So if we're looking at just the maceration, the maceration is the choices. We need to soak them in something that pulls out the essence structure from them. So in the mind, there's no alcohol in the mind. What there is is time. Because that's really the principal idea to a, a tincture is we've soaked herbs in an alcohol for a certain amount of time. And typically the longer we let them soak, the more potent the tincture becomes. So if we have all these choices, those are like the healthy herbs that we want to use to affect change, right? We have a change in mind which means we have all these choices we can choose from. We have all these options. So let's choose, you know, six or seven specific choices that we're going to make regularly. And then we allow them to soak in what is the alcohol of the mind, time. It's a dilation. And we allow them to filter out all of the good options we want from those choices. And thus we can create the change we want in our mental state. This is where this idea of patience 
is a skill and not a virtue because it doesn't just happen. Let me tell you. Um, it takes a long time to get the right concoction, the right maceration blend of those choices to create the changes you want. And you have to be willing to fail in order to do that. This is where I say, repetition is the mother of all skill and failure is its father. It takes a lot of different iterations for an herbalist or now chemist to come up with the right concoction or the right tincture they want the right properties and the, and, you know, the right dilution, you know, there's a lot that goes into all this, but so that idea of the celestial salt and the celestial nitre and the elements, and then the five element system and how their interactions, these are all like different methodologies and pieces we can use to get the correlation, to get the change we want. So we really need to take time. Time is the essence here. Time is what allows us to blend those concoctions together, blend those herbs together, blend those choices together to really get the change we need. So this has been one long-winded explanation about how you need to take more time if you want to change. And again, if anyone comes up to you and be like, you want to get six-pack abs in six weeks? Tell them to fuck off. I don't care. I got years. I got plenty of time to get six packs abs if I really want to. In this modern world, in this modern society we live in, time is, it's a commodity. We've turned it into a form of currency. And to be honest, it always really has been when it comes to the human system because we always want more time. We always wish we had more time. The reality is, our reference frame is what controls the time. Our interaction of order, our correlation of choices, our changes are what create the time. You know, if you want to have more time to enjoy your lifestyle and your, your life in general, find a way to work less. If that's educating yourself to get a better job that pays more and allows you to make the same amount of money doing less work, great. If it's working harder four days of the week so you can take off three, great. You know, what is the change you're trying to enact? How do we do that in the mental landscape? How do we do that in the world of mental health? If you want to be more mentally stable, give yourself more time. Take more time to think. React less. Get better emotional awareness. Work on what your belief structure is. Take one piece, break it down, percolate it in the mind, filter it. These are all alchemical terms. We filter, we percolate, we um, macerate. There's a bunch. I'd have to relook them up. I apologize that I don't know them off the top of my head, but it's been a while. Um, those processes we use for making herbal tinctures, poultices, herbal remedies, trying to transmute um, other metals into gold, specifically uh, there's certain metals that alchemy works with that create gold, but uh, tinamoni, timonium, tinamoni, I think it is. Anyway, um, those processes, when we look at the mental side of things, all take time. 
when you go and you look at the process of alchemy to create gold from other metals, antimony, that's the one I'm thinking of. When antimony is added to, so there's this, this, the great debate is the process in which we transmute metals into gold using alchemy. And there's a furnace involved and there's all these processes involved. Part of that process, when you break it all down, and if you find um, a master alchemist, they'll tell you that one of the most important metals in alchemy is antimonio, antimonium, antimonia, whatever. It's antimony. Antimony. That's it. That's how it was always told to me. Antimony. Antimony is the last, one of the last parts of the process of that transmutation and in order for the transmutation to effectively occur, one must put time and energy into willing that to happen through the antimony. That's part of the process. And it's a lot of where people fail. And have I ever seen someone transmute another metal into gold? No. Are there many states of gold? Yes. We actually found out recently a fool's gold is technically gold. It's just a part of the elemental process. It is partly gold. So the, the point here though, is in that, like, this is a lifelong process for most like true, like pure green alchemists is that transmutation process. And one of the biggest things that's overlooked is that they have to add time to the equation. It's not just about the temperature that the kiln is, the furnace is set to. It's not, you know, all the materials and everything involved. It's not in going and getting the essence by leaving a glass sheet out uh, on a fall night, on a, a clear fall night where the dew collects on the glass and you have to go harvest it at 3 a.m. It's the time you put into it. It's all this time and effort that really gets you the success. That is a principle of alchemy. It's time. Effort put in through time. Remember, time is just the measurement, right? Time is just the incarnation of order. We have to put effort in too. So what efforts are you going to put into enacting change in your mind? If you want to have a more stable mental situation, you need to take the time. You need to put in the effort to take time to make that happen. And often we have to start at the very beginning. We have to create the wuchi. We have to create all the knowledge and the wisdom and everything that is ourselves. You really have to look at yourself as a whole. One of the best things I ever did for myself was being comfortable with myself. Now, I'm an introvert. Technically, I'm an ambivert, but I really focus more on being an introvert. An ambivert is the middle between an extrovert and, ambi uh, an extrovert and introvert. Extrovert like to go out and be with people and do stuff and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I'm not an extrovert, so I can't really tell you about it. Introverts like to be introverted. They like to be alone, you know, all these things. Ambiverts right in the middle where I find most ambiverts lean one way or the other. Sometimes you have an extrovert who likes their alone time, ambivert, or you have an introvert who can be very social if, you know, they're put in the right locality, ambivert. I also find that a lot of introverts know a lot about people because they spend a lot of time thinking about stuff. They spend a lot of time paying attention, a lot of time watching. So that part of me that I was trying to affect change on, I really had to sit down and like measure who I was. And that took a lot of time. As I've 
mentioned in on the intro video on the website, I spent about two years before even launching this podcast, really sorting all this out. I'd spent many more years before that trying to figure me out, really had to like spend a hard two years getting it correlated, getting it, you know, to make sense that I had a, a, a real trajectory and a real idea what was going on, who I really was, what I really wanted, what I really needed, who I am as a person. And that I think is the change that needs to happen to get control over your depression. That's the change that needs to happen for you to be able to take depression from being this thing that you've given control of your choices and thus your correlation to change and to take that back because remember you have to covet your choices, covet the ability to make changes. We have to take that back from depression. That's the change that has to occur in order for you then to use depression as a tool, to use it as a way of referencing your reality and using it as a powerful tool for motivation, for creativity, whatever it is you need to use it for. That change occurs to the correlation of making the choice to look at who you are, what your education system is, you know, episodes one through seven, what your realities becomes, education, belief, language, relationships, emotions. There's a bunch of other things that go into this too, but those are good places to start. To really look at who you are as a person, and then make the decision to make the choice, correlate the choices, to finalize the destruction of who you were, the Wuchi, and who you're now going to become. Because that's the commensuration. That's the choice we get to make. And then we have going to make all these, that's the big choice. And then we're going to make all these little choices that correlate and create change. And we measure the sides and then we create. So we take all the chaos we slowly merge it into the correlation to make an order and we create something new and get to be a new person. And it sounds daunting. It really does. I know it does. It's not impossible though. If it was impossible, I'd be fucking dead. I would have already given up. And I know some others that probably would have made the same decision. But the reality is through everything I've ever studied 20 some years now, We have primordials, their creation and destruction, chaos and order. And they are constantly ever-changing because choices are being made. Change is ever-present. Choice is ever-present. They just ebb and flow. They come and go. And sometimes it takes the reference of a month, two months, three Sometimes our, our lives change instantaneously and we have to cope with that, that new reality or it takes years. We have to give ourselves that time though. You deserve time. We all deserve time. Things that take time away from us should be looked at with a very harsh eye. That question, is it worth it? becomes very important when you're trying to make big changing life decisions. 
This is where we should question everything always without reservation. And we should strive to continue to create new skills. Repetition is the mother of all skill. We should repeat, 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 make choices, make choices, make choices, make choices. And we should do our best to correlate those choices to the change that we want to occur. And to do that, we must fail. We must give ourselves time, time and time again. Moichiro. That's the Japanese word for again, again. Get up and do it again. Moichiro. You see, it yelled that when I was learning karate. Moichiro, moichiro, moichiro. Again, again, again. Then it becomes, we would do it so often that it become a, like a rallying chant. If you get hit really hard, moichiro, give me another good hit, you know, or get flipped and then get right back up. Moichiro, and you just get flipped again. Hey, but I digress. That, that structure of time is, is really important and you need to, you need to learn to give yourself time because without giving yourself time, you can never change. Time is the measurement of change. And if you want to change something really big, better give yourself some more time, better reference some more time for that and be okay with that. And there's going to be delays. That's failure is its father. Remember repetition is the mother of all skill. Failure is its father. The more we fail at something, the more we learn about it. The more you fail at being who you want to be, the more you're going to learn about who you want to be. The more you fail at the career choices you want, like the career you want, the better you're going to get at it. I'm 10 years into massage therapy. I'm still not as good as I probably could be, but I've definitely done some shitty massages over the years and learned from my mistakes and learned from my failures. And I just don't make those. And it's funny to think about now, but when I look back at all of the jobs I've ever done, the failures are what made me the best. Pizza shop. Failing making a pie taught me what not to do. Massage. Doing bad massages, failing at doing the things my client wanted me to, or, you know, doing a technique a poor way made me better at massage. And the reason throughout all of these things, be it teaching martial arts, massage, construction, landscaping, just physical labor in general, service in the restaurant industry, front of the house and back of the house. The list is ever continuing to grow. My resume, anyway. Um, the parts I can reference when people, you know, I, I like to stay as humble as I can and I really do not do well with compliments. And specifically the humble part of the reason I don't do well with compliments is because when people tell me I'm good at something, it's typically because I failed so much at it that I just know what not to do. And in some weird way that amalgamates itself and it correlates itself into being good in their eyes. The people you think are amazing at something are just the biggest failures. They've failed the most. So they don't make the mistakes. They know what to look for. They don't do those things that are going to make it a bad product or a bad experience. They just fail the least now because they failed the most. That's correlation. They chose to moichiro. They chose to continue and just do it again and again and again. That's 
we used to say, fear the person who throws a th- one punch a thousand times than the person who knows how to punch a thousand different ways. That was a martial arts expression. It was, again, I think, I think we used to say it the other way around though. Don't fear the person that knows a thousand punches. Fear the person who knows who practiced one punch a thousand times. And this goes into mastery. You know, people talk about mastery, about how mastery is 10,000 hours, right? If you spend 10,000 hours succeeding compared to 10,000 hours failing, I bet you the person who failed 10,000 hours worth of time knows way more about the subject than the person that succeeded all the time. Great medical advancements, great scientific advancements came from failure. Silly putty, failure, in case anybody wanted to know, for those of you who still remember silly putty, maybe that's an obscure reference nowadays, but silly putty was a failure. The individual who invented silly putty was trying to come up with a ballistics, uh, a a multiple ballistic um, bunker, essentially. So instead of filling sandbags, the military could have this multiple uh, ballistic resistant material. And that ended up as silly putty. A really fun time is to go look at all the, the failures that turned into great, magical, amazing scientific and medical and other advancements. There's a lot. Failure often ends in some sort of aha moment. That's just how it works. Again, failure is his father. So if you want to create change, you must be willing to fail. You probably should fail, to be honest. And you need to reference yourself to give yourself more time. And then make the choices that are going to correlate into that change. That's, that's how change occurs. Change also occurs if we just step back and watch time unfold. As a society, we've been changing from the very beginning and we continue to change almost on a daily basis now. It's also a good point to also reference change as a whole. Sometimes maybe instead of practicing the idea that you want to change something and you want to correlate towards that change, maybe you need to look at what has been changing. Are you becoming quicker to emotional response? Are you angering easier? What has changed to make your health deteriorate? Sometimes that's maybe a better angle you want to use. It's what has been changing around me that maybe I'm not in control in control of or haven't been trying to change. And has that made things better or worse? So change is just a reference point. We can enact change again correlation of choices or we can use time as a reference for change to measure but chaos and order are always going to exist and as they exist there will be creation and there will be destruction there is no connotation there that's why I remove the negative connotation from depression it's neither a negative or a positive it is just the measurement of the flow of the chaos and order in your life and the way in which you're seeing the creation and destruction and how it's affecting you and affecting the world around you. It is your vision of your reality. It is your amalgamation of how you deal with the effects around you. And with time and perseverance and the skill that becomes the virtue of patience, You can start to control that. 
You can start to use it. You can start to twist it and turn it and mold it and form it. Make it into a tool. You can take control of your mental health. It just takes time. So give yourself some time and get ready for the changes. Because once you take that step back and you start allowing yourself to work with time and against time, that's when change will actually start to speed up. That's again, that, that dilation of time I was talking about can go the other way. I can take a fighter or I can take anybody really and put them up against a wall and start swinging in a screaming stick in front of their face. And they're going to tell me that the punch I just threw at them after that felt slower to them. Or you can put your head down, hit the grindstone, grind it out, and then wake up one day and realize, man, that was quick. Whew, I'm already, I'm already at my goal. I'm already I'm here. Our minds have a weird way of referencing time. We can dilate. And you know, if there's a car accident, you're going to speed up your time dilation. You're, your senses are going to go crazy and take in all of this information. Our brains are super powerful that way. You can take in a ton of information. At the same way, you can compress a ton of information and just make it a blip. Usually happens most frequently if you want to re- take a reference of how that works. Think about the last time you went on a trip or even just a long drive and how maybe that trip felt lengthy, but then once you get to your destination and you started interacting with that destination, all of a sudden that trip just, it just goes away, you know, or maybe, you know, if you've ever had the experience where you're, you're driving or you're listening to a lecture or maybe you're nodding off listening to me, how all of a sudden you're just like, Oh, Oh, hold on. What what happened? Like you just kind of like just blanked out or, you know, things just progressed around you and you didn't really reference the time. Our minds can go both ways. Our minds are super powerful that way, but it all comes down to time. And time is change and change is time. So, Go enact some changes. Go look at the changes that have been happening around you. Work on the menu of choices. Work on correlating your choices to be infect the change you want. But again, it all takes time. And patience is a skill before it's a virtue. So if you want to be patient, practice it. Fail at it. Get better. And eventually the changes will come. So go take some time. Maybe drink a cup of tea. Meditate a little bit, just breathe. Remember, meditation is just repetition of breath. It's just the awareness of breath around you. And it's a great way to take time. All right, take care. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome and just remember to breathe.